0: So good. Thank you, Andrew. And I just, I got to make a comment about what just happened. You know, there's a God of this world and it's money. And it makes the same claims that the real God makes. It tells you that you can, it can give you security. It tells you that it can give you pleasure. It tells you that it can give you privilege. It tells you all that stuff. It's a lie. There's only one God. And what you just did, what we just did together is to make a statement to our God. No, there is but one God who can give us all those things. And that's pretty darn cool. Welcome to Antioch. If you're new, we love that you're with us. Welcome, Antioch family. We're heading into Christmas, so exciting. And uh, like Andrew said, we're a note-taking Bible-reading church, so have something ready. We're in the last week of our series that we called Worth the Wait." It was launched with the parable that Jesus told about the 10 virgins, five virgins that had prepared well with storing up oil and waiting on Jesus, and five virgins that did not prepare well, did not store up enough oil, and therefore missed the Savior. We are wanted to use this series. Andrew kind of launched this series, and his heart was that it wanted to be encouraging, wanted it to say to us, our people, That we look at you as Antioch Indian, we say, you're waiting well. We really see you doing this well. We see you storing up oil and waiting well. Chad and Karis encouraged us in the first week to fill our lamps with time in the secret place. Fill our lamps by just simply asking God for oil because he wants to give it to us. And fill us in, in, in in our spaces of suffering and pain. And then Ron encouraged us to expect, expectantly, faithfully, prayerfully, worshiping, staying within community, and waiting for that day. And Ron's job did come, and Sharon was healed. It took a while, but it happened. That day did come. We see the promise that that day is all through the scriptures. We see a promise of that day all through the scriptures. This day where God will intersect with our lives and come to us and give us the things that we have cried out for, that we have prayed for, that we have fasted for, that we are to walk in the miraculous expectation of that day and, not but, and there is something else the word of God encourages us in, another truth we the faithful must carry and must know and must believe in. We see the hint of it when we read this verse in Hebrews 11 that lists the heroes of the faith, which we just sang about. Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 says, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. Now there's a lot of different ways to look at that verse and I've read a lot of them but in me there's no true reading of that verse that doesn't somehow some way land on this hard truth. There are strong, faithful, faith-filled, praying people that will not see that day in their lifetime. The story of our God recorded in the scriptures reveals that a part of some of our a part of our journey or at least some of our journey may be That what we asked for, what we prayed for, what we worshiped for, what we stayed in community for, what may not come. But that is never the end of the story. That is never the end of the story. That sounds like bad news. It's not. Hang with me and watch this story go through some tough territory. But it rises in the end, I promise. Many of you know some of Linda's and my story, our family's story, a story of one of our children's struggle with illness year after year after year. Linda and I have experienced times in the emergency room and even in our own family room watching medical personnel work on our daughter and wondering if today would be the day that we would lose a child. That struggle has impacted and drastically changed every single part of our lives, our marriage, our health, and our finances. The struggle has challenged every single relationship inside of our family. It's stolen friendships, and it's often taken Lynn and I from our ministries. The struggles lasted 15 years, and 2021 was the hardest, most painful year so far. Linda and I have continued filling our lamps. We have waited. We have prayed. We have fasted. We have worshiped. We have stayed in community. And yet, just this week, we had to surrender once again for another year. That we won't have Christmas together this year. We had to move our prayer out for that day to be next year. Lord, next year, could we all be healed? Next year, could we all spread Christmas together? It is clear in the Bible that there are things we fast for, pray for, worship for that may not ever come. What do we do then? What do the faithful do then? We do exactly what Chad and Karis preached. (laughs) Exactly. We stay in there and we keep filling our lamps in faith. We do exactly what Ron prescribed and said, we stay in there, we pray, we fast, we worship, we stay in community, and we live every day expecting that today will be that day. And, again, not but, and, we are to do something else. Lynn and I are doing something else that we must do as the faithful. See, right after God tells us of some of the heroes dying without seeing that day, he says this. We received this promise in 1140. God had provided something better. God had provided something better, and that's the title of the message today. Worth the wait, something better. We're going to launch in Matthew chapter 11, verses one through six. Please stand, if you would, with me for the reading of the word of God. We like to stand to read the word. Puts us in a fantastic posture to receive. Lord, I want to ask from Mark's introduction that today, as we read this word, that our hearts would actually burn as you te- speak to our hearts. Would our hearts burn and be on fire as we hear from you this morning, Jesus? Matthew 11, 1 through 6, when Jesus had finished giving the instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, while in prison, heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him. Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? John answered and said to them, or Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame are walking. Lepers are being cleansed. The deaf are hearing. The dead are rising up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And, and, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Go ahead and be seated. This scripture is about the very end of John the Baptist's life. And for me, any honest reading of John the Baptist's life leads to the conclusion that John did not see that day as he had hoped to see it, as he had prayed to see it, as I believe he worshiped and fasted to see it. John did not see it. Yes, he saw the arrival of Jesus, but John preached about the arrival of the kingdom on earth. John paved the way for the arrival on the kingdom on earth and he did not live to see that kingdom come as he had hoped I think if he had he actually would have responded more like Anna and Simeon where they when they saw the Savior said there I can die in peace there that day had come John's did not And John instead sends this question to Jesus, are you the one? John facing the end of his life, about to die, sends a question to Jesus, are you the one? Because we know the end of the story of the advent of Jesus, I think sometimes we short sell the people, the heroes of the faith that actually lived the advent of Jesus, the faith that they stood on the hardships that they endured, the obedience they walked in, the things they believed in that they could not see, and the disappointments that they lived that we now live on, their faithfulness that we now live on. We can look at John's life knowing he was the forerunner of the Messiah and knowing that he actually saw Jesus, the advent of Jesus, and we can think, man, that's a good life. And it was a good life. But it was a hard life. John's life had turn after turn after turn, and a lot of them were really hard, just plain hard. I want to read another passage from John, a different John, about John. Got that straight? Since Jesus is coming, and this is John chapter 3, verses 26 through 30, and this is right. Since Jesus is coming, things are beginning to shift for John. And the gospel of John records that. John 3, 25, 6 through 30. And they, his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witness that I said, I am not the Christ but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears and rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase. I must decrease. If we look close, there's a lot revealed there. There's a lot of revelation in the truth of John's life. John was a human being just like you and I. He had feelings, hopes, and dreams just like you and I. And we look at the human reality, I think there's no way to argue that once Jesus came on the scene, by every earthly measurement, John's life turned south. That's a hard truth. But look at this passage. We find out Abraham had lots, an altar moment. John had many altar moments. First, some of his disciples come to Jesus and say they're going to leave John and go follow Jesus. I don't think that's an easy moment. I kind of picture them coming to John and they're gonna, they know they're gonna hurt John. And I picture them with their eyes down and kind of shuffling in the dirt and going, John, man, we love you. And this has been great, but, but it's Jesus. And John relieving the tension and saying, you go, go with him and and with my blessing. Then the remaining disciples come to John and they say, John, the crowd, it's leaving. Everyone's now going to him. John had been a big draw. Thousands of people were coming to hear him teaching, hear him get baptized. And now all of a sudden they've left and they're going to follow the real hero. And the man who at one time in his life probably didn't have enough time to do with all the requests that were coming before him, now hears mostly silence. There are things we will do in this journey for Jesus. There are things we will do in this journey with Jesus that are right, and they are holy, and they are still hard. and they still hurt. John had influence, and that was the currency of the day. And that was really hard to come by when you were part of an oppressed people under oppressive people, but John had achieved it. The Pharisees were so afraid to challenge him because of his popularity. Rome left him alone, again, because of his popularity. King Herod himself, though John was railing against Herod, dared not touch him, because of the uprising of people. And yet, when Jesus came, John's influence faded. And I'm gonna say something that's hard, but I think it's true. I would contend in a very real, real way that Jesus's arrival on the earth and growing popularity was actually what paved the way for John's enemies to kill him. You see, before Jesus came, Pharisees couldn't challenge him. They were afraid of him. Before Jesus came, Herod wouldn't put him in prison because of fear of an uprising. But now that the crowd was all pointed at Jesus, guess what happened? They came after John. And King Herod had him arrested. Giving up my livelihood, giving up my reputation, giving up my friends, giving up my freedom, that would be hard. John was a rock star in popularity. And any psychologist will tell you, it's hard enough as a person never to achieve notoriety. The hardest thing is to have achieved it and then have it disappear. That was the reality of John's life. And I think it's a little naive to look at John and say, yeah, but it was Jesus. Who wouldn't lose their stuff for Jesus? Who wouldn't struggle? Who would struggle with losing their stuff for Jesus? I would. I do. And according to Jesus, most of us do. Because he says in Mark 4:19 that the worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches and desire of other things enter in and choke out the faithfulness of the word. That means choke him out. But John's response, joyful submission. Joyful submission. My joy has been made full. I must decrease. He must increase. John joyfully surrenders everything to pave the way for Jesus. And then the verses read to Matthew. And they pick up the story and it's at its very, very hard end. After John's faithful service and joyful sacrifice for Jesus, John is in prison. Why? Because an insane, perverted king wants to keep his sexual sin. That's why he was arrested. Because John was pointing out his sin. The king didn't want to change it, so he has him arrested to silence it. John spends his days in a dungeon and will be executed soon at the whim of a young woman who decides that she will help the king cover his sin. John is about, to, what, the, what John is about to do, endure is just plain unjust, unfair, wrong in every way. John will die because the world is unjust, broken, and broken by sin. That's the only explanation for the way he died. It's not global. It's not glorious. It's not noble. It's because we lived in a broken world and a saint suffered there is brokenness that is real and hard and it's ever before us in this world last february because of her ministry linda was called by riley hospital a baby who was born with damage beyond being able to be healed and could not recover had also then been abandoned by her mother and so the baby was in a hospital with no advocate for her care and the hospital was stymied and didn't know what to do. So we decided to become her guardian so the baby could receive the treatment that she needed for the last days of her life. We met the baby that night. No name on the door when we walked to her room except Bufa, B-U-F-A, baby up for adoption. No baby's clothes, just a diaper in a stark, cold hospital room, and a hat that was about four sizes too big for her. No personal touch, no nurturing atmosphere, a very clinical setting, nothing honoring about this. A tragic story, a tragic diagnosis, a tragic injustice. There was nothing about this, nothing. And the hard truth is that she died within 24 hours. Those are the facts of that child's life. Those are the facts. Sometimes what you pray for, sometimes that day as you hoped and worshipped and fasted for, doesn't come. This is the hard reality of the world we live in. The scales are not just, the suffering is not fair, and sin has left no part of this world unscathed. And we have to know that there is suffering that is not punishment because it comes to someone like this child that did nothing wrong. There is a suffering that happens to the faithful. We know this because some of the most faithful people we know still suffer at times. There is a suffering that does one thing alone. It's due to the fact that we live in a broken world. That was the suffering that this baby had and the suffering of John. And in his suffering, John sends a question to Jesus. John's friends arrive and ask Jesus this question. Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? And it's in this very question that I would say we receive the encouragement of how we need to live when that day doesn't look like it's coming as we had hoped for and prayed for. I believe that John words to Jesus that we see that he believes in and is leaning into something better. John chooses at the harshest, hardest time of his life to lean into the belief and the faith that there is something better. John had every right and was within the boundaries of scripture to send any one or all of these following questions to Jesus. Why Jesus? Why am I suffering like this? Not as a challenge, just as a question. Could you give me clarity so that I could have some understanding? Why Jesus? But John does not ask why. He could ask how Jesus how did this happen? How can I stop this discomfort? How can I stop this hunger? How can I stop this cold? How can I stop this pain? But John didn't ask how. He could have asked what, Jesus? Did I not do something that I'm suffering like this? What did I do that brought this on? But John did not ask what? He could have asked when, Jesus? Jesus, when is this going to stop? when am I going to be okay again? But John did not ask when. I believe that Jesus would have been okay, received and been blessed by any one of those questions and had understanding. But John instead climbs above all of those questions. He climbs above all of those questions to something better. And I actually don't think John's words were a question. I think they were a request. You see, I sat with Linda and Julie's mom as she was dying in her last weeks of cancer. And she asked me to share some truths from the scriptures about God and her journey. And so I did, story after story after story. And then she got weary and tired, but so peacefully she just said to me, Steve, I need to rest now. She began to turn over and she said this, But will you please tell me again? She wanted me to just tell her more as she went to sleep. And I think that was what John was doing with his request. I know who you are, I know what Messiah means. I know the power, I know the hope, I know the change, I know the authority. I surrender my right to rescue. I surrender the joy of being delivered. I surrender the need to understand. I can do this, I can do die well. I need you. Please tell me again. I think the beauty of this is so powerful and has so much for us in our lives. John climbs above every what, why, when, and how. John knows there's something better. John climbs all the way up to the who. Jesus, tell me again. Assure me again who you are, and I can do this. All the power is in the who. It overcomes every what, every when, every why. Always, always climb to the who because that's where we find the something better. Now, my prayer is that we can somehow deep in our hearts capture the beauty of Jesus's response to John. I believe we have everything, I mean, with everything in me that Jesus's response to John was just as, was purposeful and it was as miraculous as any healing And it was as touching and compassionate as any deliverance that he ever gave. Yes, Jesus' response was important theologically. It was. Yes, it was important historically. It was. It was important for the ages to come, you and I. It was also sweetly personal to the man who is asking the question. That's our savior who can somehow answer the solutions of the world and do it in a message that ministers to the person that's in pain. And that's what I believe Jesus was doing here. He answers the world and tends to the heart that is in need. Jesus could have challenged John making the request at all. There was nothing more required of Jesus to prove that he was the one or even affirm it. He could have just said, I'm not answering that question. He could have answered it very simply. Tell John, yes, I am the one. Would have been sufficient. Would have confirmed the truth. But what he does instead is give himself to John in the way that John could most receive him. You see, John was a prophet. And so, John, so Jesus answers him in prophet language knowing it would be prophet language that would most confirm to John in his heart and his soul that Jesus was who he said he was. And he was who John needed right now. And that's what John was asking for. My heart and soul needs the assurance again, you are the one. And so... Jesus gives it to him in this most personal way. Go, report to John what you hear, what you see, that the blind are receiving sight, that lame are walking, deaf are hearing, the poor are having the gospel speak to them. That's prophet language, that's Isaiah. Those are quotes from the different scriptures speaking to John Hart and saying, be assured, I am who you have leaned into, who have you have chose to come to. When you chose to climb to the who, you got me, John. You got me. And then what I see is one of the most personal moments in all the scriptures. Jesus, after confirming his prophet, now goes further and encourages his prophet. And he says, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Another translation says this, John, don't stumble over me now. Those weren't prophet's words. Those were just for John. I hear you, prophet. You are mine. Don't stumble now. I think this is one of the most beautiful exchanges in all of scripture. Don't stumble now, John. There's something better. Stay with me. Stay with me. Something better. That can sound sometimes like a formula, sometimes like a math equation. You see, if you're asking Jesus for one loaf of bread... And he doesn't give it to you. It's because if you just wait long enough, he's going to give you two. If you even get the job that you want, it's because he's got another job that's going to pay higher. And I want to say to you, I don't think that's in the scriptures. And it's not because it's too much to ask for. It's because it's too little to ask for. That's not too much to ask God for. It's too little to ask God for. I don't believe that the scriptures teach that equation, not because it's depending of too much, but it's just too little. But, but it often, the answer will always come. It will be better than we even thought. Something better. But be warned, it will not likely come in the package or the timing that you've asked for. And if you demand the package, if you say what it could, should, and must look like, I have to tell you, I think you're gonna miss something better. A part of us walking in faith is releasing what the something better looks like so that we can receive it. I want to share a practical picture of how this lived out in my life at a critical time of a struggle and confusion. I was in my walk as much as I can remember at the most hurting, worn out, weary, exhausted, I said to Linda actually at one time that I thought I was on the verge of an emotional breakdown. I was serving on boards. I was serving at my church. I was preaching and I was just plain wrung out. And it didn't matter what I tried, I couldn't find rest. I just couldn't find it. So I went to a meeting for one of the kids one night and I walked over to Heritage. And as I walked out, a man said to me, I think God wants you to go to Romania. I was not happy about that. I was not happy about that at all. I actually had to contain my anger because what I wanted to say to him is, how dare you? But that was my lack of faith. So he said, God wanted me to, I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll pray for it, which really meant in two weeks, I'll come back and tell you I'm not going. So I so back, I started praying and I knew I was supposed to go and I asked Linda and Linda said, I think you're supposed to go to Romania. Now... I did not want to go. And so I decided if I'm going, Andrew's going with me. (laughs) He's 11 years old. I tell him that he's going to go with me. We're going to go on a trip to Romania. It's kind of a rat race of a trip. It's five days. That's a lot of travel there, a lot of travel back, three days on the road. We're on the run. I said, yep, you're coming with me. So we get on the plane. And I said to the guy who invited me, I said, I will go, but I need to sleep. And I need to not preach because I was preaching before we went and I was preaching when we landed home. So I will not preach. And he said, okay, I guarantee you, we'll make sure you get rest and you will not preach. Great. I will get on the plane. So we get on the plane, drive, fly for close to a total of 30 hours of travel. Everybody else on the plane falls asleep. I don't sleep a wink. We land in Alexandria. The pastor, his name was Octavian, picks us up. We have a two-hour drive to the city. We're driving two hours to the city. I wanted to sleep. Octavian wanted to talk. So I talked. I asked his questions, sweetest man, but I fell in love with that man on that two hours in. I didn't get the sleep I wanted. And then, I mean, within five minutes outside the city, he said, God wants you to preach tonight. They were having an evangelistic outreach. There were 400 people there. They had hired an evangelist from another city. They went to that evangelist and said, you are now going to interpret. This man is going to preach. They grabbed my son. So they started praying over me, nine guys in Romanian. I couldn't understand a word. All I wanted to do is say, where is my son? (laughs) And the service had already started by the time we came in the city. And so I'm walking in the front of the church going, where is my son? And they said, we're just going to point at you because I couldn't understand a thing that was going on in the service. We'll point at you when it's time to preach. So I'm sitting up in a chair. Finally, Andrew's sitting right down there. I go, okay, at least I know where my son is. So we preached that night. God broke out, not because of my preaching, but because he was moving. Something really special happened. The next day we took off. We drove all day, went out to the villages, went to a number of churches. It was a beautiful day. We're driving back in and Octavian says to me, God wants you to preach again. So I preached again. Next day, we knew we were leaving. Oh, after the preaching that night, come home. And Andrew and I had been assigned to sleep. forgot to tell you this part. A couch that was literally about that wide, both of us. <laughs> and the first night we go to sleep and Andrew started bleeding really bad. A bad sign of dehydration because we just didn't get enough water. So in the middle of the night, he's bleeding. I'm trying to find water. We find seltzer water. I'm making him drink seltzer water. So, it's just not going well, Right. <laughs> So, after the second night, the pastors that had come in for the conference came in, and started setting up chairs at one o'clock in the morning in my bedroom, their living room, saying, You will now do a dissertation on marriage. And I was like, I gotta go to bed. We were getting up really early the next morning, got up, and I said to Octavian, I don't wanna preach. I want to hear you preach. I, this man was the sweetest representation of Jesus. I needed to hear him speak. And he said, Don't worry, you're not preaching in Alexandria today. Should have known something was wrong. So we get in a van, we drive through a blizzard, arrive at a little village, and there's a little schoolhouse with just benches. And he turns to me with tears in his eyes and he said, God's known, you've preached to 7,000. He thought that's the size of our church that i currently preached at. You've preached to 400. God is now saying, Preach to these 11. And I walk in and there's a homemade loaf of bread. And I watch this man serve his people. And I wept the whole time. And I got made brand new. In a village in Romania. Get back home, gosh, drive on the flight. There's one last funny part to the story. I get upgraded because I got a lot of miles. So now I'm in first class. I think I'm going to sleep. Take an 11-year-old to first class my iPads just kept going, Dad, do you know this to this? Dad, do you know the chair can do this? Dad, do you know that this is on the TV? I was like, I'm not sleeping on the way home. But I did arrive home, brand new. I was renewed physically, spiritually, emotionally. I had said to God, I need to stay home. He said, you need to go to Romania. I said to God, I need to sleep. He said, I'm going to give you rest instead I said to God, I need to not preach. He said, you need to serve. I said, I need to be alone. And he said, you need Octavian. That experience blew up all my measurements of when I say, what does something better look like? And I had that time uh, down in my basement where I spend my time with God. And I realized God gave me this picture that I always, my prayer life, it's not wrong, but it was like writing a prescription pad. God, here's what I need. Tearing it off and giving it to him. And I had this picture of God now after this experience, giving me the, picture, the prescription pad and saying, I'll tell you what, now that you know what you know, write anything you want on that and we'll fill it. And me sliding it back and going, please don't make me write anything. I don't know what should be on there and what should be removed. Do you know how much freedom that is? When you trust the savior enough to give up all measurements of what is better There's peace there. The something better is just plain Jesus. And how he will come is going to look very different than you probably expect. And if you tighten your measurements too tight, you're going to miss him. And you don't want, you can't miss Jesus. Find the rest in something better. You're going to have to give up all your measurements and your judgments of how it comes packaged and when it comes but you're going to be glad you did because something better will come in. John's that day never came in the way that he had prayed for, fasted for, or worshiped for. John believed in something better and that something better was Jesus himself. John believed in the promises of Jesus. John believed in the person of Jesus. And John believed in a future with Jesus. And that's all he needed affirmed. And that's what we need. We rest and rejoice in the one thing, and the one thing alone is that God is good. He has all the power that he needs in every situation, and he loves you. And that combination means you can totally depend on the who. I told you the facts of that little baby story. Let me tell you the end of the story. The facts I shared are all true, but there's so much more to every story than just facts, aren't there? Because here's the truth. The second that the mother abandoned that baby, her father started working and started moving. Riley Medical Team began looking for someone to advocate for the baby. They contacted a legal team who who searched out difficult adoptions. That team had helped Linda in her ministry. And they knew. And when they ran out of options, they called Linda. And they said, we've seen you care for babies in death. Will you care for this one in life? And of course, Linda said yes. And so she called me, told me what was going on. And we said, this is one we must do together. In our hardship and the struggle that we were going through, this was not the formula we would have written for what we needed in our lives right now. But we walked in, went to the hospital that night, and we had signed in. We were going to sign in and we said to the uh, receptionist, we told her our name and she said, oh, I know who you are. We all know who you are. Everyone's waiting for you. We were now the child's guardian and we could give the staff permission to do what they had longed to do. Stop calling her by Bufa and call her by her name. And her name was Abigail. They asked if they could have the freedom to do what they had wanted to do all along and change that room and make it prepared for what was gonna happen the next day. And we said, of course. And so they went to work all night. And we arrived the next morning and that room had been transformed by these angels. A stark hospital room, the lights down and Abigail was dressed in a beautiful onesie, a proper fitting pink hat with footies at the foot of her bed and fluffed on a cloud of a pink fleece. And they had prepared her. And then they cleared the room for us and gave us privacy for what was ahead and instructed us. They had made plaques in the footprints of Abigail's saying, Abigail, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. The staff closed off the area and we spent the next hours talking to Abigail, saying her name over her over and over again. We baptized her, we prayed over her, we worshiped over her and we anointed her for her journey that was just shortly ahead. We fell in love with Abigail. It was becoming more obvious at the time had come and we didn't want her to suffer. So we told the staff that we were ready. And Linda held Abigail as all her life support was disconnected. And we were told that Abigail was was going to pass right away, but she didn't. She lived. She lived for two and a half hours. We got to see that beautiful baby with all the tape and all the life support and everything removed, and she would. And we got to walk around the room and hold her and worship over her and tell her how beautifully she was, how much she was needed, how much she'd been missed. It was amazing. And then Abigail passed in peace, without struggle, laying in Linda's arms. It was precious. But God wasn't done there. See, Abigail's story was told by the Indianapolis Star when they heard about it. Abigail's ride to the cemetery was led by an escort with flashing lights and a procession of over 30 cars. Over 120 people came to that orphan's wedding, and funeral, and 120 people stood at her graveside and said goodbye. See, God had taken an orphan and created the daughter of a king. We got to watch that. We got to see the something better that God always promises. Was that really better? All that happened, is it really better than Abigail living a full, healthy life? We are living in the belief that yes, it actually is better. And we're going to testify because we were there in the thin space between earth and heaven, we saw her pass from this earth into our Savior's arms. And it was nothing short of miraculous and beauty. You see, that's ultimately the promise that we have. All of us, ultimately. The promise of eternity with Jesus. The promise of love, care, and nurture in his arms. And that is something better that we can't even imagine. And no one, no one can take it from us. And that gives us power to watch each day. So filling our lamps continually so that we're ready to receive Jesus, praying, worshiping, communing with others while we wait for that day, believing and resting in the promises that there's always something better. These sermons, these messages, they weren't delivered in order because there is no order. This is not a formula that you start by filling your oil, then you move to expecting that day. And if that doesn't work, you do Uh, expect something better. No, all three of these are what we are to do and the gift to the believer every day and all day. We always, it doesn't matter the order, we are always walking and filling our oil lamps. We are always waiting for that day in faith and focus. And we are always counting on something better. There is no order. It is just always the gift of God to every believer that we get to do all the time. And that's the security and the heart of Andrew for this series was that it would be affirming to all of us. He expressed the desire to speak affirmation to us, Antioch, Indy, and say to us, we see you and we see you waiting really well. This was a service, a series to be able to say, we're proud of you and we want to say to you, you who are faithfully filling your lamps and waiting for Jesus, you who are praying, worshiping, and commuting and waiting for that day, you, are in a tough, you who are in a tough struggle but believing in something better, all is well. Jesus has come. And all is well because Jesus is coming. Don't stumble now. Don't stumble now he's worth the wait. Let's pray together. We're going to, always a time to respond, but some of our prayer team's going to come up front. And if there's prayer requests, please don't leave this space without coming and getting prayer. Why? Why not? We want to build that welcoming time of just getting prayer. So our prayer team will be forward to come up in prayer for healing, for needs. Um, It's not a counseling time. It's just a prayer time. So don't miss that. But As our prayer team comes up, um, please, and as we, oh, sorry, please stand. Thank you, Andrew. Um, So as our prayer team comes up, I feel on my heart that I want that God said, bless them. So as you're thinking about coming forward for prayer, I want to pray a blessing over you. I want to hope that this prayer will affirm you. That what God's heart for me to tell you was to say, he sees you. Lord, you see them. You see those waiting well. Fill their lamps, Lord. Give them the oil, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the knowledge of the Savior, the the privilege of walking as a child of God. Fill it in a way that it can never be taken from them. Answer, Lord, their offerings that they're giving. Not perfect, but in every case, beautiful. So I ask that you bless them. I ask that you keep them. I ask that you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. I ask that you take your countenance and pour it over them like a blanket. And I ask, Lord, that you give them peace. Merry Christmas, Antioch.